Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is here. We're going to dive deep into the NBA's first week with a fun show where our whole thing is we're going to discuss overreactions. This is going to be like, I don't know, I kind of want to make this like a weekly segment kind of thing. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to do it with you or if I make somebody else come on and do it uh, because we'll eventually have to get into draft stuff and these shows will become unwieldy and everything like that. But I want to do a thing where we react to the overreactions of the first week and say whether or not we believe in them or not. We're going to be discussing these things in depth. We're not going to be just, you know, the, the whole idea is that it's tongue in cheek that these are overreactions, right? We're going to give a statement from the jump such as the Denver Nuggets are going to win 60 plus games. And then we're going to discuss whether or not we think that's true or not. And, you know, buy, sell, you know, whatever we want to talk about with it. So that's the whole structure of this. Bryce, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, I'm glad you prefaced that right at the beginning. And I'll probably say it again throughout the episode so people know, like it is overreactions. The idea is these are overreactions, a little bit tongue in cheek and all of that. So we're going to have some fun with it. And you mentioned... I got to watch some actual college basketball today. I don't know if it's actual college basketball, but teams played with officials in arenas, Michigan State, Tennessee. (laughs) Dalton Connect looked really good in that game. Kansas and Illinois. Coleman Hawkins had a good game. Kevin McCuller. And so uh, we're getting really close, Sam. I I think a week from tomorrow, we are going to get the start of NCAA basketball. I know NBL and all that stuff's been going on. But all of these prospects, we're, we're about to get an influx of guys we can watch night in and night out. That's exactly right, and I couldn't be more excited to talk about that at some point with you. We certainly will be, but we're also going to be talking about NBA because I care about NBA stuff. Speaking of NBA, what I've started doing on the YouTube channel is as I watch games, I'm not going to do it for every game I watch necessarily, but as I watch games, I'm pulling tape and then diving into them afterward on the channel. I'm recording videos, breaking down prospects or players. Like there will be some moments where I do veteran players. I kind of wanted to do a video on the Milwaukee Bucks and what they're doing with Damian Lillard. Uh, after today with the Hawks game, I don't know what the hell to do with that yet. I haven't watched it yet, but I see that they're down 25. I don't know what to do with that yet. We will see at some point I will watch that, but. I'm doing videos, breaking down players and just breaking down the game in general, trying to make it accessible, trying to make it easy. They've done pretty well so far. I really appreciate you guys for listening. As always, give me suggestions. One of the most suggested players, either on Twitter or even a couple people hit me on email, Jalen Duran. Jalen Duran is the next one. Uh, I'm going to dive deep into... And we'll talk about Duran throughout this episode because we have a segment overreacting to the Pistons, but we're going to dive deep into Duran and kind of discuss why I like what I've seen so far and yet still have some small hesitations that could become big ones as he gets older. And I'm really excited to talk through it because he is a truly fascinating player given how productive he's been at this point at 19 years old. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, I've done Victor Wembanyama's debut. I did Chet Holmgren. I did Cade Cunningham's debut this season. Uh, go watch those videos. I will do more of them this week. I'm going to do the Jalen one after Bryce and I are done. And then I think that the next one after that actually might be Maxi as well. So we will see where we go from there. I also kind of want to do Jalen Johnson at some point yes. who entered the starting lineup for the Atlanta Hawks today. 
hit the subscribe button on this channel. Hit the subscribe button over on the podcast feed. Hit the like button if you're watching this live. Do everything you can to support the show. Bryce, I, I think that's all of everything out of the way at this point, right? That's that's what we needed to do. Yeah, and watch. Those are awesome. I love that you're breaking those down and you know people absorb that stuff so much. I'm always surprised and people just enjoy learning the game of basketball through that yeah. lens. And that's what I really learned as I did this on, you know, piston specific stuff on Detroit Bad Boys when I got my start is people just love to learn the game and, and even the language yeah. and what things are called. What's Spain pick and roll? What are different ways you can defend it? What are different ways you can get shots out of it? And all of those different things. It's, it's awesome stuff. So glad you're doing that. And just from the comments here and, and the feedback you've got, it sounds like people are really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm really glad people are enjoying it because I really enjoy doing them, to be honest. That's what I love doing most is just breaking down basketball and talking about it. So with that being said, let's get away from the well-reasoned film backed up takes and get to the overreactions. Bryce, the first overreaction that I want to talk about after the Denver Nuggets absolutely obliterated the Oklahoma city thunder 128 to 95 today to get to three and zero. the Denver nuggets will win 60 plus games this season and be one of the best teams of the last decade, maybe even two decades in the NBA. For the record, I haven't got to watch this game yet because even though I live in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, I am blacked out by both Denver Nuggets games and Oklahoma City Thunder games. So I haven't been able to watch it. (laughs) Here's what I'm going to say, Sam. I think I would buy this if the Nuggets want to do this. And I have no idea if the Nuggets want to do this or not. If the Nuggets are just about winning another championship, then maybe they eventually put the brakes on, depending on how competitive the West is as well, right? So if teams are nipping at their heels and all of that, and how much they value home court advantage, which I assume they probably do, I think if the Nuggets wanted to push themselves to win as many regular season games as possible – Yes, I do think they could do this. They won 53 last year. KCP was the only player that played greater than 70 games, but the other four starters did play between 60 and 70. And I looked at mm-hmm. 18 of the last 20, 82 game season has seen a 60 game winner in the NBA, Sam. And I think the Nuggets probably are the best team in the NBA right now. Last year, we didn't have a 60 game winner. So like just the numbers there say we probably will have one this season unless parity is just truly happening. So they're first in net rating after today. I think if they want to, they can. I think they're going to win 60 plus games as long as Jokic stays healthy the whole year. Uh, and Jamal probably has to play 60 plus as well. As long as Jamal and Nikola Jokic play 60 plus games this year, I think they are going to win over 60 games. Here's the reason why. The starting lineup is going to be the best starting lineup in the NBA. I think that people probably underrated that coming into the year. Uh, I don't think we did. I think that we talked about the fact that we felt like the starting lineup was going to be great. It was just whether or not these guys all stayed healthy and whether or not we trusted the bench. Those were our two big questions, concerns coming into the year, right? Do we trust the bench? Do the starters stay healthy? And if they don't stay healthy, can the bench step up in the moments where they have to. So what has happened in these first three games? A, everybody's played, basically. Uh, Nikola Jokic is averaging 26, 13, and 8. 
Uh, he has been absolutely phenomenal. He has obliterated Anthony Davis and Chet Holmgren in the games that I watched from the Nuggets. Like, just was ridiculous. Jamal Murray looks great playing off of Jokic. Aaron Gordon looks solid again. Michael Porter Jr., I think, has taken a leap defensively and in terms of rebounding and in terms of wanting to be that glue guy, right? Like, it feels like whatever they have done with Michael Porter Jr., whatever Michael Malone has been preaching has finally kind of come to fruition here, in my opinion, where he's fine being the guy that makes spot threes and rebounds and defends and gets some transition opportunities and maybe gets some bench units here and there where he gets to run. The bigger thing though, is that I think the bench has been really good so far. Peyton Watson looks great. Peyton Watson is averaging 10 points per game so far. I think that Reggie Jackson has actually been really good so far too. Reggie, I thought looked like it might be a bit of a struggle moving forward for him at a certain point last season. He looks really good. And as long as he is able to play at this level where he's probably like just below starter quality, that's more than enough for Denver. Julian Strother hasn't really even gotten going yet up until today. Uh, Christian Brown looks like Christian Brown, just solid energy, athletic, defensive player that can you know occasionally knock down a shot here and there and then i think zeke naji has been pretty good off the bench for them so far you know playing his you know 10 to 15 minutes whatever he's going to play per night so th- they kind of have a six to ten that feels a little bit more solid than what i don't want to say than what i anticipated but maybe i didn't expect them to gel this quickly so the fact that you have all these dudes that can play now and you have the best starters in the league, I think this is a 60-win team. They have the best player in the league, and they have Jamal Murray. I mean, I think it was fair to have questions, Sam, and I think we outlined yeah. it an episode or two ago with the age and experience, minutes played, like Peyton Watson barely played. Christian Brown didn't exactly rack up a ton of minutes in the regular season last year, and then the age of some of these other guys, even Zeke Naji, right? And so that's when I want to talk about Michael Porter Jr. real quick. It's easy to buy easier. I shouldn't say easy. Easier to buy into your role when you just won an NBA championship and, you know, now your coach has it. Like everybody winning solves a lot of these issues. And I know people don't always like hearing that, but it it just it is. You believe in it, quote unquote, working and buying into your role when you see it win you an NBA championship. But, yeah, these guys off the bench. I wrote in my notes from the Lakers game one. Peyton Watson is huge, man. Like he looked huge whenever he showed up on the court in that game. And then him and Brown, they're just going to play with a ton of energy. And the other thing is a ton of swagger, Sam. They just play with like this confidence and kind of like F you. I'm just going to be like, go out and, and play my butt off. And that is impactful in regular season games. It's impactful in the playoffs. And so, yeah, those guys have answered the questions that I think we fairly asked a couple of weeks ago. And then you said it. The starters are incredible. And Jokic, man, this dude, he has every counter you want. You have to respect the shot fake. He moves at his pace, but it doesn't matter because he's so strong. He gets where he wants. He's incredible, and then all these guys have learned to play off of him. I think KCP goes underappreciated at times. I think he's a perfect fit in that starting lineup. It just Austin Reeves said it, Sam. The chemistry this team has, and now we're seeing it play out at the beginning of the regular season, and I think we could through the whole season. 
just because it's felt like we've been talking a lot about the other guys on this team, I do at least want to talk about Jokic really quickly. Yeah. 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 Uh, the way Nikola Jokic has started this season where he is just like, okay, now I'm just going to bully everybody. Yes. Uh, I am going to go down to the block and I am going to not jump, but I am so good with my up fakes, my deceleration, my touch. I'm just going to score over the top of the longest guys in the NBA. Like there's nothing that Anthony Davis and Chet Holmgren can do. Uh, I am going to go through them. I am going to bully them. I am going to make this so that you have no chance. It's fun. It's really great. Like I really enjoy watching it. Like it is. He has been a little bit more of a scorer this season uh, than what maybe I anticipated him coming in to being. And I really love just him coming in and just being like, yeah, you guys talked a whole bunch of shit about how like, I don't really care about basketball and how I'm just happy to like go bet on horses and like have my like horses race in Serbia. Trust me. I work at this shit every day. I'm going to dominate you. And he's come in and he's dominated some great defenders. 62% from the field, 46% from three, 77% from the free throw line. He just, and, and it's, it was crazy to me. I put it down in transition. Not that they like are the fastest up and down team, but just this guy can do whatever you want in transition in that Lakers game. He would beat everybody down the floor and get quick post position. Sam, sometimes he would initiate the break. Sometimes he's the trail guy and he can just catch and shoot it and knock it down. Sometimes he can catch and shot fake and then attack. And again, once he gets downhill, it doesn't matter how fast he gets downhill because he's so strong. You can't knock him off his path and where he wants to go. And then I I know we want to give Jokic his love and we should, but Aaron Gordon and KCP just do what this team needs them to do. And I had that as well. KCP defends, makes shots, cuts. Aaron Gordon, all the little thing, cuts at the right time, gives and gets a hand on offensive rebound. But again, why do these guys cut so well? Because you have the best passer in the game yeah. dotting you up every time you do cut, and that increases your w- wanting to isn't the right term, but you your willingness to go ahead and make well, those your, cuts your, at the right time. Your willingness to not have the ball in your hands. Because- yeah, that as well. A lot of NBA players, like they grew up with the ball in their hand, right? Like if you are one of the 450 best basketball players in the world, the odds are that you played with the ball in your hands when you were younger, right? And there can be a bit of a hesitation, I think, at times to get rid of that ball often. But if you know it's coming back to you because the team around you and especially the best player on the team plays as unselfishly as Nikola Jokic does – you're willing to give it up and cut back door. You're willing to, you know, the guy that I think has been the best at this so far for them is Peyton Watson. Like Peyton Watson, like as soon as he sees his man go and like try and double or try and help, as soon as he sees the back turn zoom, he is going straight to the basket and cutting, knowing that somebody's going to find him. Uh, no matter who it is, sometimes it's going to be Jokic, sometimes it's going to be somebody else. So, Really just fantastic, fantastic stuff. Uh, Watson is another guy that I think at some point I'm probably going to have to do a video on because I've really enjoyed his game so far this year. Uh, just really sharp. Like he had a disgusting reverse dunk, like on a baseline cut today. Like it was, yeah, he's, he's really, really fun. Uh, he looks like a real dude and it looks like the Nuggets and Calvin Booth uh, have done it again. Calvin Booth, like one of the smartest, like sneaky, like smart, 
people I've talked to in the league, like up until the ringers thing, you know, I I don't want to get into that, like how that was characterized, but like Calvin Booth is really, really smart when it comes to team building and fit. And I think that came through in the ringer story, but he's also just a really, really sharp evaluator of the way that guys are going to fit around specific players. And that's an important piece of getting early career production out of guys. He's just a really, really good evaluator. And I think he deserves his flowers for, for picking up where Tim Connolly left off and building this team. And people will say, oh, well, yeah, anybody can build around Nikola Jokic. Like we've seen front offices not build around their stars in the right way. Yeah. Like not even the process wasn't even right. I'm not the process in Philadelphia, but like the process of decisions around certain stars wasn't correct. And I'm not saying every star is as good as Jokic, right? He's the MVP, he's the best player in the league. But I'm just saying we've seen front offices mess this up and he continues to get it right. And Peyton Watson also shooting 44% from three. So really, really good. So I have one question before we move on. What if they do need somebody else? What if, you know, Christian Brown hits a, a bad shooting slump or somebody gets injured, you know, God forbid, you know, I'm looking at these names. You have Jalen Pickett, Braxton Key, Colin Gillespie, Hunter Tyson, Justin Holiday. Those are the guys kind of next in line. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of assets. I listened to you and Danny LaRue do the extension, and you talked about this where, you know, Zeke Naji contract, potential trade if you need us. I don't see a path if something were to happen where they needed more depth. It's kind of hard for them to do that. And so that would be my only worry right now. And it's very, very, very nitpicky. So I think they do still have quite a few seconds for what it's worth. Like they have... One 2024 second, a 2025, a 2026, uh, and a 2029 second, it looks like, and a 2030 second that they can move. So if necessary, I think that they can make it work. Like the interesting one for me for them was I was wondering if they could go and find like one of these 2020 draftees who didn't get extended, who made like Sadiq Bay, like, could you basically sure. use Sadiq Bay as a uh, fill in? You know, you'd get his restricted free agency rights, but you'd essentially be using it as a rental yeah. idea where like something like that could work with the seconds. I- I'm just like kind of throwing names. Like, I-, I don't mean to specifically say like Bay is on the trading block or anything like that, but younger guys with like lower cap hits, I think you could probably swing in some way, shape, or form, maybe. Because the Najee contract now is the poison pill, which isn't as bad as some, but it's essentially yeah. seven plus going out, but only 4.3 coming in. So that changes things. And then just for anybody who like they can't trade a first round pick unless they somehow resolve it, they owe one to OKC and one to Orlando. So I don't think they can trade a first round pick at all because of the stepping rules. So I think it would have to be seconds. And then there's just not a whole lot of salaries to match. KCPs is in the right range, but you're not trading KCP, obviously. So that was the only thing. Again, very nitpicky, very small, but I just like, what if these guys would happen to, you know, hit a real bad slump or they don't think he's going to be ready for the playoffs? What's a path to add somebody that would make sense and be able to, you know, help out in the rotation? Yeah, I agree. Okay. Next one. On our list is near and dear to Bryce's heart. (laughs) The Detroit Pistons will be a top 
10 defense in the NBA this season. Uh, looking through the numbers as we go through them, currently the Detroit Pistons are sixth in defensive rating at 102.7. Bryce, I'll let you take the floor here. This is the team that you talk about and podcast about every week. How do you feel about this take? I mean, I mean, it's been awesome what they've done through three games and, you know, for a team that has not won a lot of games recently and in all honesty, the defense hasn't been very good. Not that the offense has been great either. I'm trying, I, for, I'll just, I think I'm going to sell this. I want to buy it so badly. And the reason I would buy it is one, Dan Burke. I think Monty Williams, rightfully so, will get a lot of credit for everything he's done so far this season and with this team. But Dan Burke is on the sideline and he's historically been a very, very good defensive coach and coached some top 10 defenses in his own right. So I think he deserves a lot of credit because it just seems like this team is executing schematically no matter what the schemes are. So I want to give him some flowers. Asar Thompson is a huge part of this, but Asar Thompson is also a rookie. So can he do it for 82 games and really sustain it? And then I think the elephant in the room is something we've talked a lot about. Do you just say, hey, it, it's kind of like, with the, do you want to be a top 10 defense and suffer the consequences of what that does to your offense for 82 games? Or do they eventually make some sacrifices to put spacing around Cade like we've talked about? And then to do that spacing or get that spacing, the defense is probably going to have to take a hit. And so that's what I wonder if eventually it takes a hit because of that. And then not to steal something I think you're going to say. I mean, it's been against the Bulls, who we'll also talk about here pretty soon. Uh, The Hornets, the Heat, like none of those teams are just offenses that you're saying, oh my gosh, this is, I wish we were recording on Tuesday after they played the Thunder. Cause I think that like, can they shut down Shea and Shea and Jalen Williams? that's kind of the game for me with the Pistons that tells me is this stuff for real or not? Can we really start to buy? So until I see that I have to sell this right now. So I'm with you that I would not think that they're going to be a top 10 defense. I I, I will sell this in large part because of who they've played at this point. Uh, Again, like you said, the Hornets, the Bulls, and uh, who did I break down the The first game? Yeah. The heat. Uh, all three of those teams, or all, yeah, all three of those teams last year were bottom six offenses in the NBA. Uh, the Bulls right now are a calamity. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. The Heat, it feels like, are very clearly still trying to adjust to life without Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, guys that they feel like they could trust the shooters. And then the Hornets, like, just they played atrocious basketball in that game against the Pistons. I thought, like that. That that was one of the worst games I've seen LaMelo play, I feel like, in a while. Like I know at one point he was like four for seventeen, if I remember correctly. Like he he it was just like a it was a shooting struggle for LaMelo and like a shot selection struggle. So I, I want to see them play somebody else. I think this is like I think they plausibly could be a top ten defense. Sure. Like that that's not out of the question. Asar Thompson has been fan fucking fantastic on defense so far unbelievable he is flying around in help he's taking on tough assignments there are moments where he gets 
like bodied and bullied, but like he comes back for more every single time. It does not matter. He is a fantastic defender across all swaths, all pieces of defense. He has been absolutely great. Uh, I feel like in the first like two minutes of all three of their games so far, he has had just like an enormous block that like comes out of nowhere. And it's like, it kind of sets the tone right now. I like the idea of what you said, where the Pistons could do this. They could have a top 10 defense if they wanted to have diminishing returns on their offense. And that is ultimately why the biggest reason why I think this probably does not last quite as much. If you look at the Pistons starting group right now, Cade, Killian Hayes, Sar Thompson, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran. That lineup has played 40 minutes so far this season. Over the course of those minutes, they are a minus 10. The Pistons as a whole are a plus 27. They've won their games by an average of nine points. They've been pretty good. Like they've been a genuinely good team, but these lineups are losing lineups in large part because of a 101.2 offensive rating. Uh, they are winning in spite of these lineups. And I frankly think that they should be three and O and they would be three and O if they didn't play that starting lineup for 13 minutes in the first game. Uh, th- they just had no chance to initiate offense. It felt like uh, for all of the minutes that those guys were on the court together. Now where you replace Alec Burks for one of Asar or Killian Hayes, those lineups have played 23 minutes together. They are a plus 36 in those minutes. Uh, I don't care if it's starting, not starting, whatever you want to do. Like Monty Williams can start the game with Killian Hayes and Asar because he wants to set the tone defensively and like get the guys rolling and everything like that. I get it. If that's your goal, I understand it. But in terms of the most played lineups for the team, Alec Burks has to be in for one of those two. Uh, My personal take is it has to be for Killian. Like Killian Hayes does some things well. And I think people that just like dismiss Killian Hayes are probably slightly off. He can pass. He can at least like initiate sets from time to time. There are moments he's good on ball defensively against specific player types like Tyler hero, I think. Um, but the negatives that he bring to the court outweigh the positives, I think offensively right now, just in terms of not being able to shoot and not being able to uh, really have like a threat to score in any way. Teams just don't guard him. They don't care what he's doing on the court offensively. And that is a significant flaw for the Pistons right now. So I say all of this to say, I think the reason that they're doing this is because when Boyan gets back, they will just replace Killian Hayes with Boyan. And they want to keep Alec Burks with Jaden Ivey and keep like the rotation kind of flat, basically, in terms of the way that these things all work. And once you bring Boyan back and you play him more minutes than Killian Hayes, I think the defense will fall off a little bit. The overall performance will be good. It will be much better, but... I think the defense will probably fall a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. As I was thinking more about this today, it just makes the most sense that Boyan replaces Killian. And I want to touch back on that. I would say this. 
I was a little bit critical of Asar in the draft process, and you know, you saw all of the potential. I want to like it seems like all of the good defensive stuff has translated to the NBA. And any of the questions I had about the defense absolutely has not. Like it's the ultimate, the flashes, the good stuff, all of that has absolutely translated. And any question marks I had about engagement, some of the off-ball stuff, whatever, none of that has come. And he's been really, really good. So let's say they start Boyan. Sam, Where? who do you think has to take the load that right now Killian is taking defensively? Because really it's Killian and Asar that are taking the major defensive matchups. Although in the Chicago game, weirdly, they started Cade on Levine, which didn't make any sense to me because if Hayes is in there for defense, why are you putting Cade on Levine? I I didn't understand that. But what what do you think? Do you ask Cade to do that now? He's getting a little bit of help from Boyan offensively, so he takes a little more defensive load. He fouls a lot. I hate that about it. Do you just ask Boyan to do it and live with it? Or do you put Stewart in some less desirable matchups? But like, hey, Stewart, if this is who you're going to be, then you got to guard Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Jalen Williams, those type of matchups. I think against bigger wings will be Stewart taking on more of those matchups. I think against guards, it will be Cade taking on more of those matchups. So it will be a bit of a mix. Um, Yeah. Uh, The Pistons deserve a lot of credit though. Like you brought up Dan Burke. I think that Monty Williams has done a great job. Like just in terms of like instilling like a high level defensive culture to this point for the Pistons, like they, those guys deserve an immense amount of credit for what they have wrought out of this roster so far. It feels like they're winning with depth, which is something I can't say about the Pistons like in a long time. Like they have done a great job building out the depth of this team. They're getting real minutes from Marcus Sasser. They're getting Marvin real Bagley. minutes from Marvin Bagley as well. Bagley, I think has actually been like pretty okay to this Decent. point. Yeah. Yeah. Like we'll see how long that lasts. I think that the first few games were, particularly well suited to Marvin maybe in terms of doesn't have to leave the paint quite as much, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll see how it goes. Like there, there's a real shot that this is okay. And here's the thing. Not only are they missing Boyan Bogdanovich, they're also missing Monte Morris. So I think, listen, the top end talent in Detroit is still a question, right? We talked about this. Cade has to prove it's the most important question in Detroit. Cade has to show that he is him. He's the face of the franchise, blah, blah, blah. What is Jaden Ivey? What is Asar? What is Jalen Duran? I get that. That the, There is no denying that Troy Weaver and company have done a very good job making this team more athletic, putting shooters on the roster, no matter how they use them, if they use them the way we want or not, there are shooters on the roster and just the overall depth of talent. Because... Isaiah Livers, who I think can be like a second unit quality NBA player when healthy, which he has not been able to do. He can be that though. So they're missing those three guys and we're still talking about quality depth. And so that's, you know, a testament to Troy Weaver. You got to get the star talent eventually. I understand that, but that, that has been impressive for him. What have you thought about Jalen Duran defensively? I know you're going to do the breakdown, so we don't want to spoil too much. My quick thing, Sam, I just, He's got to get more active in ball screen defense. There's way too often where some often where somebody his size has his hands down at his side. And I just want to be like, Jalen, play that cat and mouse game. Get your hands up. Get him in the, you know, the, the pocket pass window. 
he's on his heels yes. too often yes. for me. Like the hands would be great. Like I would love to see the hands be up and active. It, it's that he's on his heels a lot. Like the positioning is one thing because I think that the Pistons are very clearly telling him to play a deep drop. Agreed. But you can play a deep drop and still play like a little bit more of the cat and mouse, like you're saying, and not get hit quite as hard by, for instance, Zach Levine pull up shooting against you and dropping 51 points. Right. So he he's been, I, I don't want to like harp on it too, too much because he's been really effective and he has been yeah. one of the best rebounders in the NBA. I think oftentimes in help, he chooses to box out as opposed to going to help, which is like one piece of that. And it, it, it is, it is very reminiscent to me of Andre Drummond and Andre Drummond was an all-star player and was really, really good. And, and like, that is not a disservice to saying what Jalen Duran can be. I think Jalen's, you know, passing ability is so much more developed than what Andre's was. And I think that his ability to play with the ball in his hands is like so much more developed. So like the ceiling is beyond what Andre was on offense, but he just needs to be more active and aggressive. I feel like when I watch him and he's so young, he's still 19. Like this, the ceiling is through the roof with Jalen Duran. Like he can be anything he wants to be, but I, I do need to see like a little bit more activity and I'll break down the tape again. Like I'll show all of this in terms of what I'm talking about, but like he, he, he needs to be just like a little bit more active for me. I think like you, you go from watching Chet to watching him defensively and it's, it's a real, um, it's a real night and day effect. That's going to be an awesome matchup, by the way, on Monday night, just yeah. seeing that. Because, it, it, listen, Duran has been insane this year, and so I don't want it to come off the wrong way in terms of, you know, he's even scored the ball really well. Most of it, you know, dunks, offensive rebounds, lob. Him and Cade have a real chemistry offensively in the pick and roll. I, I'm like you. I, I was wrong about Jalen being NBA ready and what he did as a rookie and even right now. But I don't know that many people were as high on his ceiling as what I was I mean, obviously the Pistons were because reports were they would have taken him at five if, you know, Jaden Ivey wouldn't have been available. But I, I, I'm with you. I think the ceiling is insane. I think that's why I hold him to such a high standard. I'm always looking for ways for him to improve because if he's the anchor, like a true anchor of the defense, along with the other stuff we've seen, the passing, some of the DHO stuff from the top of the key. I mean, this dude is one of the best centers in the NBA if all of that stuff comes together. And one th- final thing I want to point out about the Pistons defense, they're also turning the ball over at an extremely high rate, especially in the first half. They're almost last in the NBA in opponents' points off turnovers. They're giving up 22 a game off their own turnovers. So that is just a caveat to maybe this defense could actually be a little bit better if they ever figure yeah. out the turnovers on the offensive end. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good call as well. Uh, Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back with the next few overreactions. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. 
This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, next up, overreaction number three, the Chicago Bulls blow this team up by the trade deadline. Uh, again, Bryce, you watched this team play the Detroit Pistons, as did I, but I'll give you the floor because you saw them and you broke down this game on a podcast. So g- give me some thoughts on the Bulls. Sam, I hate to say this. I feel like I'm really intricate with my note-taking about games, but what I came out of this Bulls game, at least against the Pistons, was Zach Levine was awesome, DeRozan was okay, and I barely noticed a lot of these other guys. It was extremely disappointing. And so I went back and looked. Pat Pat Williams was like completely invisible. It was crazy. I thought he was going to, you know, make a leap. Kobe White kind of gave Cade some fits defensively. I thought he really competed. Caruso tried to make a run in the fourth, you know, anticipated a couple Cade passes, baited it into it, got steals. But yeah, Pat Williams was probably the most disappointing because I just thought he was due for a leap. I think this team has been due to blow it up. So the last game Lonzo Ball played was January 14th of 2022. The Bulls are in first place still a month later. They end up finishing that season in sixth place. February 25 of last season, they're in 11th place. Early February, like they were in ninth. So I guess they're thinking like, we're going to be in the play-in game. They decide not to blow it up at the last year's deadline. Thought they were going to do it over the summer. They didn't. It's time. 
Sam. Like it's my questions revolve around what exactly does blowing it up mean for this team? Who stays? Do you trade both Levine and DeRozan? Do you keep Vooch for some reason? Do you keep like who do you keep? To me, it's wholesale. Let's go. I would trade Levine and DeRozan and, and I'm ready to start something new. And it's just what young assets do we keep? And let let's let's do it. Which probably means they're about to win 10 in a row. So since so over the last since the last game that Lonzo Ball played, the Chicago Bulls are 48 and 59, I believe. Uh, they are 11 games under 500, despite having a team that like in terms of age and everything like that is built to compete now. Like Zach Levine is in his prime. DeMar DeRozan is a, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year and in his yes. prime. They re-signed Nikola Vucevic this summer to for, for reasons kind of beyond my comprehension. Like I don't totally know why they signed him for three years, but you know, the number is like 20. It's not a great number to me. Um, yeah, no, th- this is this is bad right now. And, and by the way, the only reason that they are not 0-3 right now is did you end up watching? I told you not to, but you did you end to, up I didn't. watching you the end of the Chicago Toronto game? You told me not to. Oh no, no, no. I did watch it. Actually, I did watch that one where Toronto yeah. Where was that one? No, that was no, the one it with the comedy one. of errors at the end. No, 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 no. I was thinking of the. I was thinking of a different game. No, you told me not to watch it, so I didn't watch it. Yeah, it, it was truly. Look, NBA players are all fucking amazing and fantastic, and I, I don't mean to like denigrate this, but that was probably the worst any two teams will look on a basketball court this season. Was the end of the Toronto uh, Chicago game. That, that's where we're at. That's how bad that game was. So that was their one win. And that, that's what they need to happen to pick up their one win. So if that's going to be the case, <laughs> if that, that's what it takes, like we're in a bad spot here, boys. Like <laughs> we're, we're in a real bad spot. So the problem that I'm starting to wonder about in terms of like, okay, do the Bulls actually blow this up is like, Okay, if the front office blows this up, do they get to rebuild it? Right? Like, will they be removed because they decided to go for it and none of it worked? Look, I I don't want to sit here and just like completely trash this. I think they went through an incredible amount of like unlucky circumstances, none bigger than the Lonzo ball injury. Uh, Lonzo is a guy that missed time throughout the course of his career. Injury was definitely a piece of it that they had to take into account before acquiring him. Nothing like this though, where you expect him to like be a big part of your core. The guy that literally ties everything together in terms of ball movement, in terms of perimeter defense. And he ends up missing this time. It's bad. Like you, you really can't, you, you feel for the guy as much as anything else. And you feel for the bulls in that respect, but they need to blow this up. Like that, by blowing it up, to answer your question, like what does blowing it up look like? Yep. To me, you trade DeMar. Yep. Because he's on an expiring. And there are teams across the NBA in the midst of playoff hunts that would love DeVar, or DeMar. Like would absolutely love to have DeMar. I think you move Alex Caruso. Caruso is a guy that would get you 
at least one first round pick, maybe a first and something else. I don't know if he gets you two firsts, but like he's the kind of guy that would, you know, we brought up Denver, right? Denver doesn't have the assets to do it really, but God, can you imagine Alex Caruso on Denver? And like, he has a great contract. Great contract. Yeah. Like there are so many teams across the league. That would be a genuine bidding war given what his contract looks like. It would be crazy. Uh, like people would be losing their minds wondering like why Alex Caruso is going to go for this much money or go for this much like asset value. I would try and scope out the market on Vooch. I'd try honestly, like I'd try and scope out the market on Kobe white. Like I thought Kobe white looked pretty good to end the year last year. I thought all of the steps he took toward being like a reasonable, okay. Defender toward the end of last year, just like seemed to have gone away at this point. I, I don't know what's going on there. Pat Williams, I mean, look, I, I heard rumors of what Pat Williams wanted in terms of his extension, you know, much like, you know, seemingly what got publicized. Nowhere near the mark, just n- nowhere near the mark there. Uh, so maybe you look at like preemptively moving Pat Williams and seeing what's out there value wise for someone like him, right? Uh, it's they're in a really bad spot. And I think they have to move a number of their guys to get to a place where they can be competitive again. Patrick Williams is shooting 28% from the field and 11% from three and isn't exactly filling up the stat sheet in any other area. And just to round out their assets, they do have a top 14 protected from the Blazers protected by the blazers of course but they also owe i think it's top 10 and then in 2025 and then goes to top eight they owe one to san antonio for demar Derozan. so you know essentially they're one you know even on draft assets but yeah i think it's just time i i I don't know how reputable they are i think the james harden to chicago anytime i see it on twitter anything like that just always makes me laugh that would be the ultimate thing to do like chicago just trades for james harden and tries to keep this thing going by trading for him and so i put together like a silly james harden trade we don't even need to talk about it i just was like that would be the thing chicago would do is they would get in on james harden trade for him and try to keep this thing going like double quadruple down on Instead of selling. This is why Maury hasn't traded Harden yet. Like this is why he held Ben Simmons. He knows that as teams get desperate throughout the season, weird shit happens, right? If they trade for James Harden, like Bulls fans should boycott the team. Like (laughs) he's on an expiring. DeMar DeRozan's on an expiring. Pat Williams wants God knows how much money, like 25 million a year, like, something crazy like that like you god like just seriously like boycott the team if that I happens d- i just wanted to get caruso to philly because i think that would be a really nice fit for philadelphia to get alex what, what was your wild james harden deal no no it was it, it was just paul uh lonzo ball pat will caruso plus picks so just i think you have to have ball to make the money work i just love the yeah, idea the, of caruso the, the, going the to sixers philly. wouldn't do that for what it's worth because they want to keep their cap sheet clean for next year. Oh, shoot. I didn't think about that. Yep. It'd have to be right. tomorrow. My bad. I My think. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Tomorrow would even, have to be the money. I didn't is... even think about the, mon- the, the 2024, 25 money. Yep. You're right. 
Yeah, no, that's insane. It's it's truly, truly crazy. Um, in terms of like adjustments for the Bulls, like seriously, like I, I know that Caruso has dealt with like some injury stuff, and you don't want to play him more than like twenty five minutes a night. I'd start him over Kobe White and see how it goes. Maybe start Javon Carter instead if you're worried about the injuries. Like. Yeah, they're in a bad spot. They they had no chance, it felt like, defensively to guard the Pistons. So that's what I was going to say, too. I I don't feel like Detroit is necessarily the, like, pressure the rim, pressure the paint, best team in the league. This is something with, you know, and we've talked about the spacing, right? I feel like they got to the rim at will and dominated the paint at will. And it was something we talked about going into the game that – I didn't feel like they did a very good job of it. And then it played out in real time as you watched. And if the Pistons can do it, I have a feeling that most NBA teams are going to be able to do it. So they have no rim protection, anything, even as good as those guys are on perimeter defensively. Like they got some names that can really guard you on the perimeter and it's still not enough. People get to the rim and they just pressure the rim over and over and over. hundred percent. Okay. The Bulls, I, I think that they do blow this up for what it's worth in some respect. I'm not saying that they maybe do it all, but like, I think that they, they move these guys. Uh, they move some of these guys and end up selling by the end of the year. Is Levine just young enough that you blow up everything around him? Like, is there enough assets you can get? Other, but if you blow, he's not going to want to do that. Like, that's why I don't think you can yeah. do like a soft reset because it has to be DeRozan because he's on an expiring. And if you send out DeRozan, then you got to send out Levine. Then you might as well send out Vooch. And so to me, it's like it, it almost has to be wholesale because Levine's not going to want to stay around while they rebuild for two years. I don't think he is either. Uh, I would try and move him. I think that you probably could. I think you could probably get real value for him and you could get somebody who's a contender to give up like a real pick call for him. Uh, That's what I would do. We'll see if it happens. Okay. Next up. Number four, the Dallas Mavericks own Luka Doncic is going to win MVP in 2024. Uh, I have not seen a better player uh, play basketball this year than Luka, like truly through the first couple of games here. The Nets game was crazy. I just want to give the quick little like summation that you put in the notes here. Yeah. They're down five with three minutes. He hits a step back going to his right over a double team. They hit a three again to bring it back to five. Yep. Luca goes off of a screen. He jab steps and drills another three. They get a shot clock violation. Luca drills another three going to his left over Mikhail Bridges. Cam Thomas drills a step back, like a ridiculous step back, by yeah, the way. Was, that was nice. It was nasty. Uh, to tie the game. And then Luca throws up like a one-handed three off the backboard that somehow fucking goes in. Luca Doncic, I just enjoy watching Luca more than anybody else. I enjoy watching him play basketball more than anybody else play basketball because you see the most fucking bananas shit when Luca is on the court. And I absolutely love it. Uh, look, I don't think he wins MVP uh, because if we're talking that the Denver Nuggets are going to win 60 plus games, then Nikola Jokic is winning MVP. If they win 60, 
Jokic is winning MVP. Yeah. But I think Luca will be first team all NBA. Yeah, that's what I put in there as well. Is I'm selling just because I think we outlined it with the Nuggets and with Jokic, and he's going to win it if if they're going to do that. I think what always impresses me with Luca is the contact balance. It's just insane. He gives contact, Sam. He takes contact, but the touch is always the same. He's still on balance. If you lean into him, he's just going to spin off of you, so I don't know what you do there. And then the ability to knock down shots over contest. He doesn't even jump. It doesn't look like he jumps at all. I, I realize he's however tall, like he's not a short player and he shoots it from up here, but still contests are supposed to affect your shot percentage. And it just doesn't with Luca. He just flat out does not care. And so he is so good. He was so fun in this game. And then how about this? Luca has four all-star games. Four-time first-team All-NBA. He's a EuroLeague MVP. Do you know how old Luka Doncic is? He is. Uh, he's 24. 24 years old. I was looking this up today. I was like, he's really only 24 years old? This dude has done so much, not just in his NBA career, in his basketball career, and he's yeah. only 24 years old. He, he hasn't even, quote-unquote, hit his prime yet, and he's insane. You're right, and he's just so much fun to watch. Yeah, no, he he is the guy that like I, I just absolutely love it. I, I absolutely love watching Luka Doncic play basketball. Uh, every time you watch him, he's just like a joy kind of yes uh, to watch play. In terms of him winning MVP, the competition is fierce, right? I think Shea is going to be in the mix. Yep. I think that you know certainly Nikola Jokic is going to be in the mix. Booker, you think? So, Booker's going to have a shot to be in the mix for sure. Uh, in terms of like one of the Bucks guys, I would so that's think, what I was going to say. Uh, Is it actually a little bit easier because Booker, KD fight for it, Giannis, Dame fight, you know, not fight for it, but you know they 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 kind of cancel each other out. Like, are you who's going to get the credit if those teams are really good? Is what I'm trying to say. So. Does it open it up a little bit that those guys have those other players on their team? Because I I had Jokic, Tatum, SGA were the ones that I was really thinking. Tatum is another one. I'm glad you brought up Tatum. That's about who I was going to say as well. Uh, Embiid, like if if the Sixers are good, like somehow Embiid will definitely be in the mix again and will deservedly be in the mix again. So... Look, it's fierce. The the NBA now is fierce. The the level of talent, it's never been deeper. So I think that there's a real shot that all these guys could be there. Uh, Luca will definitely be in there, though. Uh, if you made me pick a number two right now behind Jokic, I would pick Luca. Yeah. Um, I also want to say, listen, I'm all about switching. I, I, I'm 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 cool with it. I understand it. I really get frustrated sometimes when teams just soft switch so easily, though. Luca got Cam Thomas on him anytime he wanted. And so we talked about, you know, Cam Thomas is a bucket. He hit the huge, you know, step back, created a ton of separation to tie the game. You have to insulate him defensively to get the best out of him. You can't just let them come down. And Derek Jones Jr. set a half-ass screen to get switched on to Cam Thomas and get, I think that's the first time I've cussed on the podcast, Sam. Um, it is get Ben Simmons or Mikel Bridges, whoever off of him and get him on one of the worst defensive players you have and just do it over and over and over. Like just trap it. 
Make Derrick Jones Jr. make pick and pop threes. In his career, he averages 1.5 three-point attempts a game. He averages less than an assist a game. Make Derrick Jones Jr. beat you and then make them take him out of the game completely. I realize it gets a little harder when it's Tim Hardaway Jr. and they have spacing around it, but I, I just got a little bit frustrated watching this going, you're just asking Luca to go for 50 if you're going to let Cam Thomas guard him all game. It's not not ideal. <laughs> that, that's maybe the fairest way to put it. It's not ideal to end up with Cam on a switch on Luca. That's not what you want. No. Um, okay, that, that's all I've got on this topic. I, I'm just excited to watch Luca. Uh, he is he is the best. Okay, have we said what he's averaging? By the way, no. Let me rattle it off real quick. Forty one points. <laughs> on 58 48 and of course he's not very good from the free throw line 71 11 and a half rebounds almost all defensive and then eight and a half assists and and here only two turnovers per game right now there it is yeah no he he's absolutely ridiculous uh okay he's good next up i'm gonna flip these last two bryce uh, oh we're saving it we're okay. gonna save that one yeah uh okay. Fair enough. Number five, Tyrese Maxey will be an NBA All-Star in 2024. Uh, as we're talking, the Philadelphia 76ers have come back against the Portland Trail Blazers. They are now up like 20 in this game. Maxey has 25 on 14 shots, uh, nine rebounds, four assists. Coming into tonight. Maxie was averaging 32 and a half points after going for 34 and 31 in the Sixers first two games also had eight and seven assists in those first two games too, respectively. I think Tyrese Maxie is an all-star in 2024. Uh, Bryce, tell me why I'm wrong. I don't think I'm going to, I, I, I don't think I can tell you, I think there's going to be some competition depending on what some guys do. I, I went through it and I realized this isn't all one-to-one, -one, but I think you can finagle front court, back court stuff a little bit, right? I think there ends up being two spots based off the guys I think make it this year that made it last year. I don't think Drew Holiday's making it. I don't think the Rosen's making it. Um, and maybe another spot potentially depending on if like Jalen Brown makes it or if Przingis goes crazy. But I, I think there's going to be a couple spots up for grabs. Cade Cunningham, LaMelo Ball, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brunson, Trey Young. Why does he not make it over any of those guys? Cade would be if he is just like, you know, preternatural and leads the Pistons. And they're like, like 500. 500. Yeah. Right. Uh, I would personally take Maxi over LaMelo right now as an all-star for yep. this year. Yep. Uh, that's just based on what we've seen from LaMelo to this point. That could all change in a hurry, right? You never know. We'll, we'll see what we see from LaMelo moving forward. Right now, LaMelo's averaging 17 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, nine and a half assists, like genuinely great numbers. But uh, it feels like when I've watched them that he has not shot well. And yes, lo and behold, 25% from the field so far from LaMelo. Shooting variance is a thing. Those numbers will change. Like he will certainly shoot better at some point. I just feel like when I watch LaMelo, there's still a little bit too much inefficiency there. Personally, for me, we will see. The other guy that I think you didn't mention that will have a real shot is Jalen Brunson. He was not an all-star last season. Um, Brunson has not been fantastic. The Knicks have not been fantastic yet by any stretch. So 
definitely a chance there. But this version of Maxi that we have seen so far, I would say is an all-star. And I think that it would be very likely that he makes the all-star team. Uh, why do you think Maxi has been so good so far, though? I mean, he just he's so talented and he can shoot. So whenever you have the threat of somebody that can knock down shots the way he does, that just makes you even faster on top of how fast he already is. And then he can stop on a dime. I like his floater game. He struggled in the game I watched, but then in the fourth quarter, I think it was, he's outside of the lane. Four guys are around him. He goes right foot, right hand floater, and it's a bucket. And then the other thing is, I think they're going to run more pick and rolls with him and Embiid as the season goes on or little pass and follow DHO, you know, Pat. And he's so good off of those as well, because I got frustrated in the game I watched the other day. I'm not sure he got a field goal attempt in the first minute. And then he finally started getting the usage. He was seven of nine from three in that game. And he's able to do it off the bounce, off the catch, off movement, right, left, left, right, all of the different stuff. But I, again, I really like his pick and roll stuff. He snakes, he gels, he can throw the weekend hook passes. I, I just think he's really good. My worry is, do teams just start doubling and bead, denying Maxi and saying, you other three guys beat us. Whoever's on the floor for Philly, we're going to make you guys beat us because Embiid is a bucket, Maxi's a bucket, and then do they have the other guy? You know, Ubre's got buckets so far this year, only has 10 tonight. The Anthony Melton hasn't been great, as good as he was in the preseason. P.J. Tucker does one thing offensive scoring-wise. You know, it, it would be Tobias Harris. So th that would be my one fear is team just decide, like, we're going to schematically take Maxi out. Um, but I don't think that's going to be easy either. I don't think it's going to be easy to do that either because the threat of a shot is so real and he plays off of that threat so well. And on top of it, he's getting better in ball screens. Like that's yes. the thing that's actually stood out to me is he's using his speed and ability to stop start as quickly as he does uh, in a much more effective way with his footwork and ball screens to be able to stay on balance uh, he's always been very balanced in terms of getting to his touch, but I think where that balance can sometimes lose itself is in his vision and like being able to see out. I think that thus far he has been very good at being able to like see outward uh, from the corners and really, really be able to hit shooters like PJ Tucker, like Tobias Harris and be able to find them in advantageous positions. So when I watch Maxi. I see a guy that I think is very likely to be an all-star this season. Uh, I think he has taken that leap. And I think that as long as that leap continues, we're in, you know, the Sixers are going to be able to be patient with James Harden, which is the most important thing for them moving forward. Uh, you know, obviously they're sitting now at two and one. They lost that heartbreaker to the opener uh, to the Bucks on, you know, the what third night of the season, I guess that was. And, We'll see where it goes. And the thing, he doesn't turn the ball over so far this no. season. So all this extra usage he's getting, he has three total turnovers in three games, depending on what happens at the end of this game. You know, as you said, they're blowing out the Blazers now. So he, he is, 
you know, he's not turning it over. He's shooting lights out. And like you said, that's, that's what I come away with as well is just his ball screen nuance on the offensive end. And then he's drawing fouls. I think that was another thing he's starting to kind of learn to do. So last year, Harden averaged 4.6 fouls drawn per game. Maxi was just 2.6. This season before tonight's game, he was at five per game. So a big part of being a star in this league is getting to the free throw line. He got there 10 times tonight, Sam. He made all 10 of them. Yep. No, that's big. It's really, really big time. Okay. Last overreaction here, Bryce. Not only is Chet Holmgren a better prospect than Evan Mobley, Chet Holmgren is better than Evan Mobley right now. Discuss. I, I can't do it. I, I just can't. And this is going to be a fun discussion. I can't wait to get the feedback. I, I always get excited to who's going to come at me on Twitter or in the YouTube comments. Like I, I enjoy that stuff just because I'm interested to see what people th- – I, I can't, Sam. And we're going to go through what is what do I think Chet is better at. Evan Mobley was all defensive first team and third in defensive player of the year last year. I can't say right now today that – Chet is better than Evan Mobley. So I'm going to sell this on October 29th with the caveat that we bring it back three or four months from now because I think it really gets interesting then. But yeah, I I just can't say it today. (laughs) I think he's better than Evan Mobley right now. Okay, can we do it? Can can we go through thing by thing? If you made me pick one of them to have on my team right now, I would take Chet. And here's the reason why. I think he is so far advanced comparatively to Evan offensively right now. Yep. Because of the shooting. Yep. The shooting is such an immense differentiator for these two. Chet is able to be a trailing three-point shooter and open up the court for guys like Shea Gilgis Alexander to drive, for guys like uh certainly, you know, Lou Dort. There was a great example of this on the play against the Cavs, where Lou Dort ended up in the position where I think it was 102-102. He gets like a wide open driving lane on the left wing and he drives, and Chet is in the corner. Evan Mobley is guarding Chet and he's the help defender. And because Chet has that threat of the shooting on his side, Evan can't be as aggressive helping off of Chet. And it ends up in a Lou Dort layup that essentially put the Thunder in a position to win that game. The gravity Chet has as a shooter makes him a better offensive player right now than Evan Mobley. I think Chet is also a slightly more effective driver than what Mobley is at this point. Uh, I think you can have Chet drive from the three-point line, which opens up more space, whereas Evan has to do a lot of his work in contained areas like the mid-post and high-post area because Chet is that threat as a three-point shooter that you have to drive. You're able to see him attack closeouts in a more effective manner. Uh, I just... I think that there is a substantial difference between the two offensively right now and defensively. 
they play different roles. So like, let's call that out from the jump as well. I know that Jared Allen has not played yet this year. So Evan has been playing the five. And I think that's not really his best role at this point. I think his best role is probably playing more of the four, but, and this is where Dougie T brings up, I get it, but the Cavs coach hasn't maximized Mobley. I kind of think it's more a factor of Mobley isn't quite as good of a rim protector, a natural rim protector as what Chet is, which allows Chet to actually play the five and get the marginal advantage that you receive from having this skilled of a player offensively play the five. Evan is better at playing the four than what Chet is at playing as like an off ball four. And the Thunder haven't really gotten to experiment with that a lot yet. I'd imagine we'll see that a little bit more throughout the season when Jalen Williams gets healthy again. But when you watch the two of them, I think Chet's instincts defensively are a little bit quicker. I think he's a better natural rim protector. I think Evan is a better like scrambling athletic defender who just like shuts off angles and like driving lanes uh, with these like timely digs and then stunts back out. Like there's a lot of things that he does really, really well defensively, which is why he was third in all defense or third in defense player of the year. And I think it was a completely valid third place, but I, I just, I think that there's a real offensive difference between the two. I really do. When I watch them. No, I, I don't think there's any doubt. Like just when you watch, how they move and how confident they seem offense. Okay, let's, let's go. Who's the better perimeter switch defender? Mobley? Mobley for sure. Yeah. Who's the better Mobley rim protector? Sure. Uh, Chet for sure. Who's the better shooter? Chet for sure. Passer? Um, That one's a little closer, right? Close enough. I, w- I would like to see more. Um, I, I think that long-term Chet, has better vision than what Mobley does, but there's a chance that Mobley is more athletic and is going to be able to just like collapse defenses a little bit better with his uh, ability to just like open up driving lanes for himself. But the fact that Evan can't shoot means that he doesn't get to play in as much space as what Chet does. So very, 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 very small lean toward Chet right now with potential for it to get bigger, but I would say Chet better player off the bounce. Uh, chat, I would say. Yeah. Uh, li- listen, if we were going to play a game at 8.52 Central Time on October 29th, I would probably take Evan Mobley just out of respect to how many games he has played in his NBA career compared to how many games Chet Holmgren has played in his NBA career and what Evan Mobley has done in those yep. games. Sam, if you told me I had to start a franchise or whatever the caveat is for the next how many ever years, I am taking Chet Holmgren and I'm not even thinking about it. Like I just, I had to sell because out of respect to Evan, who Evan Mobley has been in his young NBA career so far, I have been overly impressed with Chet Holmgren, his rim protection. He had one, I believe it was on Mobley where he came over to help and he actually left the floor and I go, Oh, overcommitted. Mobley's going to get a dunk. Chet was able to land, turn, and block the sh- his recovery ability is insane. It's, it's recovery and it's second jump. Yes. I think his second jump is absolutely fantastic. Like he it, gets off the court so quick off of that second jump and he uses the length, his fundamentals. I, I broke this down in the video I did on Chet. His fundamentals defensively are fucking outstanding. Like 
the verticality, the yes. ability to stay big while retreating, like it, it's exactly how you teach it. Like he he is unbelievable at it. We've talked about how he doesn't get doubled over, even though he's so skinny. He's able to keep that verticality when he takes contact. The, the se- I'm glad you said second jump because lots of times we reserve that for guys like Asar Thompson, right? Z- Zion Williamson, these just explosive highlight reel athletes that miss a shot at the rim and then second jump offensive rebound put back dunk. And we don't talk about it with a guy like Chet, who's seven foot plus. But it's super impactful for somebody like him that he's able to leave his feet, land, and then either turn or turn in the air after he goes into a second jump and get back. I've seen him do it over and over. And yeah, then the offense, I'm just buying all of the offense. It's been incredible. He's awesome. He's awesome. I I am very, very excited by what I've seen from Chet Holmgren uh, to this point. Uh, He has been... Fantastic uh, across the board, and like, look, Nikola Jokic caught him today, like unequivocally. Like, we, we can't sit here and deny that. He, you know, gave it back to Jokic a little bit on the offensive end, and he never quits either. Is the big thing? Like, he absolutely never quits. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I am a big fan of Chet Holmgren at this point. Uh, I, I am a very, very big fan. Yeah, and I've never watched him in person. I've never met him, got to interview. But like everything you hear about the competitiveness, like the intel around that with Chet also is something that's really exciting to hear. And I feel like, you know, just contributes to everything else that we just laid out. Uh, Is Tari Eason, did I miss like Tari Eason, like getting hurt? Like at some point, because Tari Eason did not play tonight. Why am I missing? What am I missing here? Let me look. Yeah, he's out for a week. Okay, that makes sense. I was like, wait, why did Tari Eason not play tonight over Reggie Bullock and folks? Uh, so, so did, yeah. Did okay. Cam did Cam get minutes or no? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You, you got to play uh, Reggie Bullock and Jeff Green 27 minutes combined. And score 95 points. Yeah, and have those two go minus 28. Uh in terms of their plus minus. So, you know, what can you do? Okay. Uh, Bryce, we did well today. We got, we got done in an hour, uh, hour 11. Uh, what, what, what did you do this weekend? Anything exciting before we get out of here? I took a movie day yesterday. It was nice. Did you watch the three and a half hour one? No, I watched, um, yesterday was feel good movie day up until the last one. I watched grand Budapest hotel, which is just like a warm blanket movie for me. Um, I watched Moneyball. You maybe have seen Moneyball. Uh, I love Moneyball. Okay. Adapt or die, Sam. Adapt or die. Moneyball is one of my favorite movies ever. And it's not even like the sports stuff. Like, I mean, it kind of is. Like, I've probably watched that last scene where Jonah Hill explains the guy hitting the home run uh, more times than I've watched like any sports scene uh, or any like scene in any movie. It's just like perfect to me. Uh, and then the last one I watched was uh, a movie from 1997 called Cure. It's like this Japanese horror movie uh, that is like very influential on the genre. I didn't totally love it, I will say. Uh, typically, movies like that are very my jam. I loved the last 20 minutes. I did not love the first hour and a half, I would say. 
It does not sound like one I would enjoy. Uh, Moneyball is right up my alley. Um, the other two I will hard pass. I, will, I, will, I tried to catch up on games. Um, as I told you, we had a late night on Friday. Our high school football season ended. Four-hour bus ride. I got to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning. And then it was, you know, trying to catch up on game because I had missed the Pistons game Friday night because of the football game. And then the Pistons also played on Saturday. So caught up on those, all of the stuff for this. So it was a lot of basketball, um, which is what I do was what I love. So and then family time, of course. I love it. I love it, Bryce. Uh, Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on for you. At Motor City Hoops on Twitter, Pistons, NBA, NBA draft stuff. We'll be tweeting out a lot more of that as these games get going. Draft Digest just drops an article on the Connecticut Huskies. We'll be dropping articles on small school gyms. Shout out my guy, Dylan Jones, who's got have a big year and under the radar prospect. So that'll be dropping over at Draft Digest this week. And then if you are a Pistons lover and are excited about what they've done. Me and Omari will be recording Tuesday evening talking about the first four games of the season. So we'll be able to break down all the stuff from the Thunder Pistons game as well. As always, Sam, I love this. I enjoy it so much. I'm so happy to jump on here once a week and talk <laughs> hoops. At some point, we're going to have to start doing draft stuff. I- I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I'm not super enthused about doing draft stuff this year. Uh, it, it's like I, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the process of finding guys. It's more that it's hard for me to do it now because I think that what we're expecting or thinking it could look like is just going to look so drastically different once these guys start playing yes. games. Yep. Like there's just so much margin for error in all these guys. So I'm just like kind of waiting for them to play as much as anything. Um, do we, do we need to like get on the show like on Friday and like start doing like draft stuff maybe is that a thing i'm i'm kind of like you i told an agent i was talking to the other day i said let's like in four weeks we'll have a lot better feel where guys are at how good guys are what this draft class is who's good who's not there's a lot of really good games early in the season and so like it's just it's frustrating right now because you want to know and we don't have a whole lot of data to back it up and it's like we might as well just wait i'm not saying for that we can I'm always game to jump on and talk, you know that, but you know, just in general, we're about to start getting data points for real. Yeah. Finally. Cause what the season starts on the fifth, right? On, on Mon. What is Monday here in the States? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe on Friday we'll do like a quick draft preview podcast or like Thursday night going into Friday. Maybe we'll do a quick draft preview podcast as we, you know, just plan things publicly in front of people <laughs> watching this as we do it. Um, okay. Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed there. I, uh, you know, great company. Super happy to work there. Uh, go and subscribe to this channel on YouTube, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Ficini. Hit the like button if you're watching this video live. It really helps support the show uh, in just a very small, easy way. Uh, go watch the videos I did on Victor Wembanyama's debut, Cade Cunningham's debut, and Chet Holmgren. I will also probably tomorrow morning at this point in the U.S. time, be releasing a video on Jalen Duran. I've gone through uh, most of the Bulls game and pulled the tape that I need to. So it's literally just a matter of me recording it at this point. I will probably do that tonight. Um, and then the one after that, I'll probably do maybe a couple tomorrow as well. Uh, maybe Tyrese Maxey will be one. And then 
maybe maybe a surprise one. I don't know. You you guys can see who I go for next. Okay. Until next time, though, we will talk soon.